If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Folks, we've got another installment of Opposition Territory coming your way this week here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, the longest-running weekly Philly sports podcast show in the world, over nine years strong, and we have got a great interview and discussion coming up. You know, we're in the thick of the baseball season here. Major League Baseball is going on. We're loving what we're seeing from our Phillies, but in all honesty, there are teams, yes, there are teams that are better than the Philadelphia Phillies in this NL East. One, the Atlanta Braves, and number two, and at the top of that list, the New York Mets. Like it or not, the Mets are having an incredible season, a phenomenal season. You have to think, man, for their fan base, you know, they, they've been waiting a while for this. So we are going to talk to a great guest this week. We're going to get into this Mets team, what their future looks like during the course of this season. So let's get to it now. Joining us on the podcast for the very first time, coming to us from a great podcast. It is a Mets podcast, folks, but a great podcast, a pod of their own over at AmazingAvenue.com, SB Nation site for the New York Mets. We have Ms. Maggie Wigan. How you doing, Maggie? Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on. We had your uh, friend Allison McCaig on uh, over the, a couple times, actually, to talk about this New York Mets team because the New York Mets, hey, like it or not, you know, to those Phillies fans who are listening to this podcast, like it or not, the Mets are doing good things on the field this year. <laughs> and we certainly have to talk about them considering they are a quote rival in the NL East. But first and foremost, if you're not following Maggie on Twitter, she's a great follow at Maggie162 and also AmazingAvenue.com, a pod of their own, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, boy, I, I got to tell you, Maggie, I didn't necessarily think that we were going to have the type of season that we're seeing from our teams. Why? Because I was very mad and upset with Major League Baseball for quite some time. Not necessarily the Players <laughs> Union, but I mean, there were individuals that didn't think that we would have baseball until possibly June or that it was going to be an extremely late start to the season. And just like reflecting on that now, I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about that, forgotten about what the CBA did what it meant major league baseball just dragging their heels and we haven't necessarily talked about that too much on this podcast and i think it's time to revisit it a little bit just i'm still mad at major league baseball for what they did i'm glad we're having the season that we're having of course but i i think you know i think time heals wounds and fans of sports in general tend to forget things in the past but i, I don't want people to uh, forget about what major league baseball did during this offseason well, and I don't think, uh, you know, it's it's easy for us to kind of have that distance when we think about it now. But I, I, I think the, the players are definitely going to remember that because Good point. Yeah. of all of the takeaways. I mean, certainly, you know, first and foremost, we got a baseball season. I'm like, oh, how blessed are we to have a baseball right, right. season? Like not even getting into the Mets having an unmetsy season, which is the greatest <laughs> gift of all. But, yes. um, you know, it's... <laughs> 
what was really what stuck with me and what I know is going to stick with the players is just the really nasty tone, the very kind of underhanded, you know, if not flat out lies, although sometimes it certainly, you know, just the the way that certain information was leaked in ways to really undercut yep. the union and yep. the players, you know, that that was that was the real takeaway. And, you know, ultimately the baseball season happened because the union gave a lot and eventually they made a lot of concessions. Yeah, a lot of concessions. And I don't think there's there shouldn't be really any doubt as to where the concessions mostly came from. But, you know, I think it'll be very interesting to see as, you know, the next few years unfold um, is like is what it looks like going into the next one and what it looks like when the union and the and the um and MLB have to come together on other issues you know right. certainly we saw a lot of conflict arise that kind of portended where this was going to go during you know before the 2020 season took off when there was a lot of negotiations going on there too so it's it's really just in the last several years that we've had this new tone to those interactions which is i mean i actually think like the negative tone is in many ways a good thing because Prior to that, I think a lot of the reason there wasn't major conflict was because the union wasn't really doing its job. And exactly. Was, yeah. And was very much kind of letting MLB completely run the show, yeah. uh, which is how we found ourselves here in the first place. So, you know, in some ways, it is good that there that this conflict is coming up because it reflects um, a more even fight, not quite all the way even. And I don't think it ever will be because one is a bazillion dollar corporation and, right. <laughs> and the other is you know people and people are tough but um and i think our social yeah. platforms too really quick allowed us yes. as fans to see more of what happens on the inside and i think and i hope that baseball fans i, I think the majority of them not necessarily from a which side are you on but really could see and understand what type of negotiations actually do happen and we were able to really see that kind of for the first time it was ugly it was up and close but i think that really gave us fans something kind of tangible in a way to really see how the sausage is actually made. And I, I think it actually helped us fans a little bit in the end. I think that's very true. And I, I mean, and I think the other thing that is really new to this round of, you know, high stakes negotiations was getting the player's perspective. Um, and in a very, you know, looking to social media in a very kind of raw, um, unfiltered way of, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't a lot of them. Baseball players not famous for, you know, being loud and opinionated right, right. when it comes to stuff off the field right. you know, as, <laughs> as a crew. They tend to be um, restrained. But to see you know, the folks who did vocalize how angry they were, I think that was a really um, I think that was a really important reminder that it's more than just kind of the millionaires versus the billionaires that, <laughs> right. you know, that these are people and that they were hurt and angry about you know being disrespected and being lied to and i think that's a really um i think it's a, just a valuable reminder that you know that these are people these are Absolutely. not resources they're yeah. not tools they're people yep. and you know you can't you can't bully folks indefinitely before you start to to hear about it exactly. and i think this was a really it, it was an opportunity that a lot of players took to to be open about how this affected them. 
I'd love to have you on down the road. We could just bash Major League Baseball. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we do that. It's called a pot of their own. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, Maggie, I brought you on because I wanted to talk about this Mets team. What a time it is to be a Mets fan for you Ooh. and your brethren, right? <laughs> I Man, mean, look, I, I cannot lie. Uh, it is. It's a nice. It's a nice feeling. Been and, a little but it while. Is, yeah, it is funny to see. Um, we're all just so deeply broken as people. <laughs> oh, you know, we'll rattle off whatever winning streak, hit whatever, yeah. um, whatever milestone we're excited to, and still everyone is just waiting for that other shoot. I, I mean, I rem- yeah, absolutely. And I remember talking to your co-host Allison, you know, a couple months ago, just about you know, where this team was going to be going in the future. And I think we have seen here at the beginning of July, you know, this is a team that basically survived June without Max Scherzer, without Jacob deGrom. And I I think, and it's tough for me to say as a Philadelphia Phillies fan, I really do think the sky is the limit for this team. And it pains me to say that, but (laughs) from an overall perspective, Maggie, I'm wondering like what player or, or, you know, what, or, or, or who was the most consequential acquisition during the offseason that has truly helped get the Mets to where they are at today? What do you think? Well, that's a great question because the the Mets really did have a lot of turnover um, all across the team. And obviously, I mean, you look at someone like Max Scherzer and, you know, from the get go, just to link it quickly back to the the labor question. I mean, having Max Scherzer as a leader on the labor side of that negotiation was really was really wonderful to see. And I think that helped endear him from the start to his teammates who recognize, you know, what he brings to the clubhouse. But I'm actually going to take it in a little bit of a different direction. I think the best acquisition the Mets made this offseason was Buck Showalter. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, it's the the Mets have a great mix of of young and veteran players. Um, They have some players who have seen success previously and some that have not. And they have they have a history of uh, being exciting in all the wrong ways. Right, right. And, you know, and I it's I felt bad because I did like Luis Rojas as a coach and as a team presence. But he was completely out of his league in terms of managing a clubhouse and um, and bringing a philosophy and a process and a system to a team that has just been ruled by chaos for so long. I know the feeling. So, Joe Girardi. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah. No, I, <laughs> man, I feel I, I do feel for the Phillies. They're metsing a lot right now. But, yes. <laughs> but, you know, and, and that's because you do you have Max Scherzer coming in. You have Starling Marte coming in. You have Francisco Lindor, who struggled so badly last year for so long. Um, and at the middle of it all is this is this solid rock of a leader who um, it's been really, it's been really impressive to see him. And actually the first person who was, who really got me jazzed was Allison because, you know, Allison's second team is the Orioles. So she got to see a lot of Buck Showalter um, in kind of his most recent uh, leadership role. Uh, But he, even since then, I feel like he has developed a lot of new skills and is, is more, what he's brought to the team is this sense of um, kind of old school, I would say, responsibility of everybody doing what is expected of them, what is asked of them, showing up on time, doing their literal homework. Um, you know, just if 
the the analytics department says you should stand here everyone knows that the expectation is they're going to stand there right and uh and buck brings that all together but buck helps set those expectations his baseball iq is maybe the highest of anybody related to the game right now he knows everything yeah. about how you play baseball he is he has you know he has a real like you know he's got his baseball iq he's just a very like straight up intelligent person um and then he the thing that i've noticed that i didn't necessarily expect going in is how good he is just with people and knowing what people need that's key and not being yeah. locked into like this personal philosophy of like oh i like to push my right. pitchers to go as long as they can exactly i always like to swap out this guy for defense he doesn't do that yep he looks he's you know i think it was i'm trying to remember it was a few weeks ago i think it was david peterson he pulled david peterson in the middle of an at bat because he saw one pitch and he was like he's done and that confidence and that willingness to shift your mindset on the on a dime is really hard to find um and it takes someone who has been around the block a lot both to recognize that that's something that needs to be done and have the confidence to know that that you are not showing weakness by showing flexibility right that you're not showing inconsistency you are showing um you know a reactionary response that's actually a really good one like he is he's always thinking about what just happened what's going to happen and willing to make whatever changes are needed in that moment and that's that's just really nice to see. Absolutely. And again, to bring that quiet confidence, that control of everything that's going on, that trust in your players. You know, this is just a team that really needs that because there are so many big personalities. There are people who are big clubhouse leaders. Oh, yeah. It can it can get messy. And the Mets have seen a messy clubhouse before. Oh, absolutely. I think it's fair. to say, I love your answer with Buck Showalter here because I think it's fair to say his style is what this Mets club needed. Now, as we're moving along here, Maggie, like it, not everything is, you know, lollipops and rainbows <laughs> for the Mets either. I mean, they we are, should be so lucky. Right. I know they're playing extremely good baseball here in 2022. But June has been a month that's it's it's been a little rough for them, you know, as it has like June is usually pretty rough for the Mets. And we've seen it in previous seasons. There's definitely concern, I think, just from what I've read online from Mets fans, you know, moving forward here, you know, their home run rate has been a bit static. Their runs per game dropped by nearly a quarter down to uh, 4.0, which is last in the National League. The club's batting average overall has plummeted from 315 to 272. So I'm wondering, what are you most concerned about when it comes to the Mets being able to really just sustain the success that they've had for the rest of this season as they really look to, you know, take this NL East title? I mean, the positive thing is that the Mets are very much playing to their strengths and to who they are. And I think there's a couple different factors at play that we're seeing. One is that um, they were due for a regression because, you know, just in terms of runs produced, they were overperforming early in the season. Right. Um, right. Which is not to say that, like, what we are seeing now is their is their baseline is what we should expect, but it, it happens. There's, there's ups and downs over the course of the season. Their, their offense is not as bad as it has been in recent weeks, but it is not as good as it was in the first several weeks of the season. And I think, you know, what, what the Mets really need to do, they do need to just get their, um, is get their big starters back because, 
you know, they're not going to be an offense first team, although their offense is solid and um, I'll get to it in a minute, but it's, it's a particularly challenging offense for other teams, which is right. what you want. Um, but what they, they are going to be more dependent on run prevention for the back half of the season than they have been in the first half of the season is what I think. And the, and the thing about the offense is that they, they're not a home run heavy offense, right. although they, we will see more from them. The, mm-hmm. the city has had, New York city has had some strange weather patterns recently <laughs> and like, it's been unseasonably cool. So is the world long stretches. <laughs> so really, and city field is very dependent on getting that heavy, humid air to bring the ball out. So we're right. going to really start see that picking up soon, but, but you do have guys who can hit one out. I mean, you have Pete Alonzo, like God help the man who has to face Pete Alonzo on the mound. Right, <laughs> I'm glad right. it's not me, but then you have, <laughs> you have a lot of guys who can hit for average and in a way, you know, it, and they do that. And they're I love able that. To do that now in yeah. today's environment because they're not easy to shift on. Right. Right. Um, so and it'll I, be interesting to see how that changes as the shift goes away, but at least for now you, and it's, so you've got guys who can get on base. You've got guys who draw a lot of walks and even the, even the players who don't draw a lot of walks. And I think this is where we're seeing the Buck Showalter, um, and also the Eric Chavez influence, they're taking so many pitches. Yeah. I, I mean, they must really, I, again, I, I feel for the pitchers who have to sit there and throw like, I mean, Brandon Nimmo's your first batter of the game. You throw him nine pitches. Starling Marte's <laughs> up next and he takes seven. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you got Francisco Lindor and God help you if one of those guys gets on because now Pete Alonso is batting with a runner on. Right. And that's just, it, it's, so it's a really, it's, it's an offense that can get you in a lot of different ways, which helps. I think that helps protect against, you know, certain pitching styles, right? You know, maybe you've got a guy who's great at controlling home runs and like, good for you, but um, the Mets are about to hit five straight singles on you and good luck with that. Exactly. So, you know, they, they, they really, they, they can attack you from all sides and that's, and that's a great thing, but ultimately, you know, they were, I think they were hitting like 375 at some point with runners in scoring position. They were well, this was never going to happen right. um, for, for long term. <laughs> I think so like something we talk about on the show every now and then, and we have this season given the Philadelphia Phillies and, and, and the philosophy of how and where to strike the ball is I, I love what the Mets are doing because again, with the Phillies, it's all about freaking home runs. It, it really is. And it drives yeah. me crazy because I just want baseball players to make contact with the ball. And that's what the Mets are doing. Sterling Marte. I'd love the acquisition in the off season of him. I wish the Phillies had it gone after him because he's that type of guy where you just want to make contact with the ball because when you do, guess what? It's baseball. Good things happen. Good yep. things happen. And they especially happen when you have speed, which yes. is an underrated part of the Mets game. Uh, yeah. And it's easy to underrate it, especially if you're coming at it from another fan base, because they don't steal a ton of bases, um, but they beat out a ton of infield hits. They force a lot of errors. They take extra bases. You know, they just they're a hard team to defend against in that regard because they they just move fast. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to forget because they're not a space stealing team. Yeah. But uh, I so- wonder. Oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Go no, ahead. No. Oh, I was, I was going to say, like, just talking about this philosophy, uh, Maggie, I'm just wondering, you know, if they are, if the Mets front office, if this team in general is going to want to add more power to the lineup before the trade deadline, because it's going to be here in less than a month. We're talking about that philosophy of just, you know, making contact with the ball. 
But I would venture to say that the Mets front office and even the team, maybe even Buck to a certain extent, might be like, you know what? Maybe we do need to add a little bit more power to this roster and this lineup. Do you think that's actually going to happen? I think that's definitely um, on very close to the top of their list for okay. what they're going to be trying to do. I, you know, the the Mets have gotten a lot of depth in their lineup, but a huge issue for them has been the DH spot. Yeah. And they had a few guys who they were really hoping for bounce back years um, who came in to kind of cycle through that spot. And no one has stuck. Um, Dom Smith even spent some time in the minors. I mean, Robinson Cano was their starting season DH, and he is... I, I don't even remember where he is. Anymore. I don't know where he's he at. Somebody's minor league <laughs> right. team somewhere. Right. Uh, bless his heart. But um, but that's the biggest issue for them right now. And the good news is that should be one of the easier holes to fill. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, the, they, they don't have a fantastic farm system and they are very disinclined to dig too deeply into what they do have. Um, it's a very top heavy farm system. So um those those front guys are going to be really important for them to hold on to. But I think that's going to be an area where they look at, I don't know, I mean, Wilson Contreras, you know, whoever's out there, you know, the, just the first name comes to mind. Right, right. Who, um, you know, the position is less important because whoever it is is probably going to spend most of their time at DH. Right. Um, or if, you know, if they get someone who's, who's primarily a first baseman and Pete spends more time at D eight. Like they've got some flexibility to mess around with that. Um, because that is the main hole that they're dealing with. Um, and I think that will be important because as much as I think that this team can, can hang, can, you know, stick with where they are. The thing is, um, the other teams are not going to stop getting better either. And that was really, and that's what we saw in June, just to quickly get back to this, this June swoon that the Mets have been so cursed by for so long (laughs) is, um, I'm like, Oh God, June. Oh, the Phillies have been there too. (laughs) It's it's And we knew that June was going to be tough regardless of the the Mets history with that calendar month. Um, because they're, they're, um, their schedule was truly nuts. And they had a period of time where I think they played 25 games in 26 days and had two West code West coast road trips within that time frame. Wow. They came back for a week and then we're back out there again. And two of their travel, two of the days that they traveled, there was no off day. Like wow. it was just a really, um, it was brutal. It was an insane stretch. <laughs> yeah. And so everybody, the Mets knew going in that this was going to be a hard time to get through. And really when you think, Think of what they were up against. They actually did quite well, but it didn't feel that way. It felt like the sky was falling in because the Braves couldn't lose. It's amazing. 14 straight wins. <laughs> I know, oh, I give you a break. It was brutal. I was elated for nine straight wins from the I know, Phillies. I was going to say, and the Phillies kind of, um, the, the Phillies did it too for a while there. Yeah. It was just, it, it was so, it was really demoralizing in a way because it felt like we were actually doing all right. Like, the Mets were hanging in there, but there was nothing like it didn't even matter. And, right. and that's almost like it's hard to, you know, I look at this team and I'm like, this is a really fantastic team. I think they can win it all. But God help me if the Braves win another 14 straight. And who knows? I mean, anything is possible. Right. And anything that feels is. very like, but certainly, um, you know, the Braves are not going to be coming away empty handed at the deadline. And the Phillies probably aren't e- either because right. they have broken that 500. Mark, and they're not going away. They're over the luxury uh, tax. Just spend more. You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's, and you know, that is, that is the nice reality. The, you know, for 
it's a very new feeling as a Mets fan of <laughs> being, you know, the, the Mets talk about not wanting to trade away big prospects, but they can eat whatever salary you throw at them. And they are, I think they're more than happy to, cause yeah. they all, they're, they're not idiots. They know that this is that where the Mets are right now, is not an easy point to get to. And you have to take advantage of an opportunity like that right. to be in first place, to have a team that is very deep, that is performing well. That's, you know, that is a gift to have on July 5th to, to be in that position. And so Absolutely. they're not going to squander it with a half-assed trade deadline as they have in previous years. Right, right. But certainly, I mean, I think they've got to get a DH um, and I think and a, and a big reliever too. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're missing. I mean, obviously Edwin Diaz is on another level. You know, he's pitching, he's been pitching all season. I'll that take way. him. You watch, <laughs> and you're like, how does anybody ever hit him right like a guy fouls right. something off and you just want to give him you know a bouquet of flowers like congratulations <laughs> <laughs> you struck off on a uh, struck out on a foul tip right. like that's incredible <laughs> um but behind diaz there's a lot of good guys there's a lot of your you know solid seventh inning folks but you want that um you want that that eighth inning rock right who right can lead up to diaz um and that they haven't quite found yet. So I have a feeling, um, and we'll see where the starter conversation goes. They probably do need a starter, but uh, I don't know if they're going to be well, making that yeah. their top priority. But I wanted but to really, get into, yeah, I wanted to get into some gonna, pitching. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But but I think like we're going to see some power coming in on, on the DH side of things to keep that lineup balanced um, and, and, you know, someone to, someone to fill up that bullpen as well all right well again like wanted to get into some pitching with you here maggie because like just a hypothetical okay jacob Degrom, like when he comes back like when he gets back to the big club as he's coming back from injury um you know I, i'm wondering like and we are all wondering mets fans are wondering too you know is he going to be 100 when he does actually come back like he's been rehabbing he's been getting some needed pitching time here in the minors but like hypothetically again, like what if he doesn't come back as the Jacob deGrom that many folks want and expect as well? What might that do to the Mets starting rotation and team from an overall perspective? And what you're talking about is maybe they do need to acquire another starter because I mean, look, there are pitchers who come back from injury who just aren't necessarily the same. And it's those great pitchers that are able to reshape their their game in a sense in order to keep moving forward so I, I'm just wondering like what do you think this does to the Mets starting rotation if DeGrom comes back and he really isn't quite 100 percent well it's interesting because I think I think the real the real concern I have for Jacob DeGrom coming back isn't that he will come back and not pitch 100, not be at 100%, because from what I've seen from DeGrom over the last several years, he is fundamentally incapable of not pitching as though he is at 100%. So what I see as the more likely possibility is that, you know, I mean, in, the, in his first minor league rehab start just a couple of days ago, he hit 102. Yeah. Why yeah. are you throwing, or maybe it was 101, whatever it was. I think it was 101. It was like, definitely why 100, are you throwing yeah. 101 <laughs> at your first rehab start against like a 17 year old from Mississippi or whatever it is? Like, I, he just can't turn it off. Right. And that, uh, so what I think, what, what I really see is the more, is the bigger possibility is that he'll be right back on the IL. And that is, of course, what happened last mm. season. Um, you know, we did actually end up getting a full half season out of him, which, you know, is 
still one of like best half seasons in baseball history. But he did, you know, go on the IL and come back and then go back on the IL. And it certainly seems like some of it was this recent this injury that was diagnosed in spring training for him that, you know, was was affecting him for a longer term. So it's possible that having resolved this injury now he's really ready to go. But like, man, what I wouldn't give for, you know, the Cy Young winning Jacob deGrom <laughs> right. who pitched 99. Right. Because right. when he pitched 99, he won the Cy Young with a sub two ERA and, you know, was one of the best pitchers ever over the course of an entire season. Jacob deGrom pitching 101 is missing half of his starts and sometimes more. Right. So, and, and I, again, I don't want to, I'm not assuming that that's a hard, fast rule for him, but it's certainly, I think everyone sees it and kind of clutches their pearls a little bit when he hits that 101 because it's like, buddy, just, <laughs> you don't need just to throw 99 and you'll <laughs> right. be fine. Right. But in terms of, so, so that's sort of the more, that's the bigger concern I have. But the effect would obviously be very similar in terms of him also if he came and was not as effective. Is that I I think I think this team, as it's constructed, will be fine with an ace. Yeah. And they do have the luxury of maybe that's Max Scherzer or maybe that's Jacob deGrom. I do think they really need one of those guys to go every five days and do what they expect of him every five days in order to to stay atop the NL East because it is tight now. Um, but and I think, you know, obviously Max Scherzer, he's back today. We are very excited. We love our <laughs> big heterochromatic yourself. ace. Sorry. <laughs> yes. At least at least he's not facing the Phillies right exactly. now. You got that um, exactly <laughs> that but you know and I do think that would open up the need for adding a legit starter at the end of, you know, to, to fill in the back of the rotation, but right. the Mets also have had a very nice um, bounce back season for a lot of their pitching depth. You know, David Peterson, who I mentioned earlier, you know, he was a mess last season and you know, I don't think any Mets fans wanted him anywhere near the starting rotation. And it took two big injuries right off the bat to get him there. Uh, but he has, he has risen to the occasion. Um, another nod I will give to Buck Showalter is I think he's very good about navigating pitchers, especially in an environment where they're not really expected yeah. to go well over 100 pitches. He right. seems to really, for the most part, and nobody's perfect and everyone remembers the mistakes, but for the most part, he seems to really have a sense of when it's time for to, to pull these pitchers. Right. And, you know, the Mets pitchers who are not necessarily the ones you would want front and center in your rotation. I think with that extra care, they're really able to do their best. And it's very nice to see. So it's not um, it's it's not as much of a detriment to lose one of those guys as it would have been in prior seasons when everything that came behind them was just a mess. And of course, in previous seasons also, it wasn't just that like their frontline starters would go down, but the next guys would go down right. and then the next guys. And, yep. and you're talking like you're talking about your number nine starter at a certain point, whereas the Mets are not in that position right now. Right. So that is, that is comforting, but 
No, the Mets, they, they do really need an ace. Absolutely. Any time. Uh, I don't want to see it, but uh, yeah, Mets fans certainly do. <laughs> Again, folks, <laughs> talking to Maggie Wigan from a pot of their own over at AmazingAvenue.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Maggie162. And just to close us out real quick, we only have a couple minutes here, Maggie. Just, just wanted to get your level of concern when it comes to the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies possibly catching up to the Mets of the division here in the near future. Again, just a couple minutes. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's always um, it's always on our minds. Like, you know, there's the, the post-traumatic Mets disorder. Um, and certainly when it comes to the Phillies, I mean, nothing will ever take away the sting of blowing a seven game lead with 17 left to play. Oh. That is a, a set of. And I realize y'all think of it very differently. Like, oh, we made up a seven game deficit with right, only right. 17 games left to play. But, right. you know, so it's a very. But, you know, I don't think Mets fans ever feel safe. And even when we had that shiny 10 game lead, we were all like, yeah, I'm not like getting comfy. I'm not buying the playoff tickets right. yet. I, I feel you. Yeah. And I think, you know, but what we're seeing and what we saw in June is you know, this is a really good Mets team. And I, th- and especially with the expanded playoffs, I would be very, very surprised if they didn't make it to the playoffs. Right. Um, I'd be as Same surprised here. as I could be Same given here. my emotional disorder right. as a result of being a Mets fan. <laughs> But um, I think it was very easy when the going was so good to forget that the Braves, especially, are a fantastic team. They are. You know, they're the they're the defending world defending champs. champs. Like, yeah. You yeah. can't sleep on the Braves, and a lot of people have been. The Phillies, I feel like, <laughs> and I and I, and again, never going to count out the Phillies. We're honest here on this losing, show. Yeah. I, I mean, losing Bryce Harper, <laughs> that's that it's is killer. just a, that is a different team with and without. I'm I. I'm not I'm not looking over my shoulder <laughs> to see the Phillies coming up behind us. It's right. not um it's not the thing keeping me up at night. Right. But okay. again, I mean, but I I wouldn't be shocked either if the Phillies did squeak into that offseason. And then I mean, once you're in the offseason or the the postseason, anything goes anything, anything is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do think the Braves are gonna be a force to be reckoned with. I think every team, I think the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves are all going to get better at the deadline. Um, and perhaps, and it wouldn't also surprise me if the deadline was, was really the linchpin was, you know, ultimately the deciding factor in how these three teams fall out in the standings. Um, but I, I'm a believer. I think the Mets have this one. I, <laughs> I, I do have, too. <laughs> I have faith. I think they, they are just, they're firing on all cylinders. And even when they're not, they're playing enough to win yeah and that's what you have to do is when you got it all going to win everything and to keep above water when things are not all going well and that's exactly what they're doing and you know it's just uh yeah, it's fun to see. I feel like we earned this one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mets fans definitely have earned it for sure. Again, folks, Maggie Wigan from a pot of their own over at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow her on Twitter at Maggie162. Maggie, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming Thank on so Opposition Territory. Yeah, you got it. Hope to talk to you down the road. Yeah, let's go Mets. It was great talking to Maggie for the first time. And I think that if you objectively look at this NL East, I think everything Maggie was saying really is true. I mean, This NL East is the Mets division to lose. I think it's really important for us to realize that in terms of us Philly sports fans and Philadelphia Phillies fans, taking our expectations and understanding where those expectations need to be at this particular point in time. 
the New York Mets are going to be getting two pitchers back into their starting rotation that are basically the best of the best, folks. We know this. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with, barring any sort of injury. This is a team, I think, that is going to end up going pretty far this season. How far when the postseason starts? I'm not sure about that. It's going to be interesting to see how Buck Showalter really brings the clubhouse together. But I think from an overall perspective, you know, you just look at the Mets, see what they've done in June. Yes, yeah, slipping and sliding a little bit here and there. But given the fact that they don't have, you know, <laughs> some of the best pitching in Major League Baseball at their fingertips up until about about now, it's been pretty impressive what the Mets have done. When we look at it objectively, I don't need any hate emails or tweets. So that being said, folks, we're going to. We're going to end this Opposition Territory podcast this week. Thanks so much for listening. If you're new to the podcast, you can uh, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on, Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate a follow there. Also, rate and review. That does help us as well to get our show and podcast uh, out to the masses a little bit more on some of these platforms. So anything ever happens to your podcast feed, head on over to PhiladelphiaSportsTable.com. We've got all of our podcast shows over there for you to listen to. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Philadelphia PST. You can follow me at Jeffrey underscore Warren. That's going to do it for us this week, folks. Take care, and we'll catch you next time.